0: Welcome to Burn by the Firewall, an OccamSec podcast. Welcome back. Today in studio, we have with us Matthew Mosey, who has been with UNC Chapel Hill IT for the last 20 years. Uh, he does a lot of work with the EMS and public safety sector, and we're excited to have him join the show and talk story with us. So Matt, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So let's give our listeners some, you know, some idea about what it is you do and and sort of how you got started in the IT world. Uh, maybe you can just give them an intro and tell them a little bit about your story.
1: Sure. Um, so I, I I guess going all the way back to undergrad, I really got started in technology and in computers specifically, even earlier than that. You know, I remember growing up and and. Um, uh, having computers from my parents and, you know, bringing home I remember the first kind of, you know, probably 186 or, or earlier than that. had the, the nice little three by five green screen and the keyboard folded down and it probably weighed 50 pounds and, you know, had a strap and that's what we considered a portable. Um, right. So, you know, technology and, and, you know, computers in specific has always kind of been an interest. Um, when I hit um, undergrad at, at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, I went through the, the directory for picking majors and, and really did it backwards. It was, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that. Oh, look, there's two left. I guess I'll pick one of those two. Um, started working for UNC while an undergrad and, and you know, eventually just was no longer going to classes and was working full time and, and really enjoyed that. And, and you know, fast forward 20 plus years later, I'm still at UNC. Um, you know, 25 years ago, I also um, I was a, a Boy Scout growing up, uh, enjoyed outdoors. Um, so I, I joined South Orange Rescue Squad uh, back about 25 years ago. And so kind of the, the parallel tracks of my life uh, is is one on the EMS, on the rescue and, and um, uh, as a firefighter for a while as well uh, on the one half. And then the, the IT and the technology uh, on the other half. And then um, you know, and probably about the last five years, it's it's really been um, uh, lucky enough to have a lot of those two kind of careers merge into one. And so, most of what I am responsible for now with UNC is uh, is on the um, the te- is integrating technology into uh, emergency response, crisis management, emergency operations uh, activities, and those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, that's exciting stuff. That, that's really cool. Not only on the IT side, but only, you know, also on the, the service side, the things that you're doing um, out there just to help the community. You mentioned something about big bulky pieces of technology. And that was something that I was just joking with um, a, a client with the other day about how far technology has come. And it's a great segue into one of our questions that we ask our guests on a, on a regular basis. And that is growing up, you know, what was your favorite piece of childhood technology?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know necessarily if it was my favorite piece growing up, but the one thing that I really remember is uh, whether it was high school or maybe earlier, it's probably, you know, freshman year in high school, that kind of time frame was, was, was the land parties was, you know, playing doom. Uh, Mm -hmm. I remember going to, you know, I, I don't know, Circuit City or whatever other, uh, company is now long out of business um, and thankfully the statute of limitations is acquired too and and buying um token ring network cards and you know we were all broke high school kids and so you bought it and then you returned it on monday because you couldn't really afford it and so it was carrying these massive computers and you know big um you know round screen 13-inch monitors over to each other's houses and and playing doom for extended periods of time uh, that's, I mean, you know, that was one of the fun parts, and and it was really interesting years later to actually start developing an understanding of networking and and really have a little bit of a, you know, I didn't understand the technology or the details about, you know, you plug a cable in and and things just work, and you put in this number into a computer and they can talk to each other. And now, years later, understanding and and you know, having a little bit of a of an involvement in in as that kind of technology has has truly expanded and you know now shoot my watch has an IP address. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty cool to see um, how technology just leaps and bounds and and uh, I I really think that you know that same kind of question when I ask my son that in in 10 20 30 years what's he going to look back on and, and think that that was that same kind of thing for me
0: Yeah, that's the one, I think, uh, common denominator when we ask this question is just how, you know, how fast and and exponentially technology has changed over the last 10 or 20 years. And clearly, that's the path that it's headed. in as we look forward, right, there's all sorts of things on the horizon. Um, And I think if we kind of pivot that and relate it back to healthcare, there's been a lot of changes in healthcare in the last 18 months. I mean, we as a community, as as a nation, obviously as a world, so would you mind giving us some background on how you've seen that environment develop and grow and change, um, maybe not just like recently, but also across your career?
1: I, yeah, I, I think so. Um, certainly in the last few years, uh, information security has just skyrocketed. Uh, you know, I, there have been times in which the, the university um, has been in a, in a hiring freeze, with two exceptions, information security and healthcare. Uh, you know, those, no matter what else is going on, those are the two that both the demand and the need continue to grow. And, and so, you know, it's a perfect question, because those are the two that get married together. Um, you know, we're, we're constantly concerned about information privacy. Uh, in many cases, but we also want ease of access. You know, we, we just think that it should be easy to have, well, I, you know, and and I see this in the university. We'll have a student or a faculty or a staff member say, well, I gave the university that piece of information. Well, we're, we're a huge university, we're decentralized. And so you gave one department that piece of information and, you know, expand that into a healthcare setting. You know, you, you've got hospital systems that that you know, an independent hospital, in in many cases, no longer exists. And so now you have massive healthcare systems that are, are mergers of, of many smaller hospitals that, that were originally standalones for a number of years and even decades in many cases. And so they're trying to integrate their operations and their data management and their electronic healthcare record in with other hospitals. And you know certainly there there's a small number of of platforms and you know as we continue to to move forward in the future uh so many of the the bigger hospital systems are all kind of commonly using the same ones and so it does ease data exchange um but you know to the, the same thing is kind of true it's you know i i assume that my doctor has my healthcare record and well what if my primary care physician isn't part of the same hospital network that i go to or you know any any number of other kinds of things and so the the ability the ease of which to share that information also comes at a cost because the easier we make things the more that we have to be vigilant about protecting those kinds of things it's it's the age-old joke of the most secure computer is one that's turned off in a corner and not connected to the internet right? right um and Of course it doesn't do anybody any good if it's turned off sitting in the corner and and not turned off not connected to anything
0: yeah no absolutely that's one of the the things that we look at here at occamsec is is just trying to you know technology isn't always the answer right there's often solutions that you already have in place you don't have to go out and add more things to the to the mix and complicate things um but i think you touched on something as well that i think really overlaps both uh, the healthcare and the education industry and that is that the end users have to be able to use the product they have to have access to it and accessibility oftentimes in these two industries trumps security and trumps these types of uh considerations for for risk and i think that's one of the things that when we look at both of these industries um has led for them to be in in the headlines and 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 seeing these problems uh surface over the last you know specifically 18 months um you know from your perspective and again you can generalize this of course but what vulnerabilities have you seen or do you see causing a lot of problems on on the horizon and it doesn't have to be technical vulnerabilities it could be in the ilk of what i was just discussing
1: yeah no i, I... Great points. Um, And and I think that's a hard question, because there's so many potential vulnerabilities, you know, more and more, we see data exposed through just simple point of sale systems. Um, It's, it's quite amazing, the amount of data that just swiping a credit card, um, you know, leaves behind at, at any, any number of major retailer. And, you know, it's when we when we build technology tools and and we you know enable them for the masses the the common consumer now doesn't want to spend a two-hour training or a 30-minute training on the product you know if if you have to train somebody on how to use your interface or your tool today you've kind of lost the battle uh you know in many cases we look to to you know amazon like nobody taught you how to buy anything on amazon you figured it out it was it was intuitive and and that's really kind of the model for so many other things if, if you can't make the interface intuitive then people it doesn't matter how good your product or your or your tool or your solution is and so to me that really ties back to the yet you, you make it a little bit dangerous because to make it to make the user interface easy, you kind of have to present enough data so that the person can, can be walked through it. But at that same time, what levels of protection of that data are you ensuring? You know, certainly we're going through BAAs and risk assessments and everything, but also as we continue to move to a to a you know software as a service, a cloud-based, even you know, in a hybrid environment. How do i know that this one application or this one environment isn't talking to another because it does need to to exchange data but how do i ensure that you know even at the simplest level of making sure that those communications are encrypted you know data at rest security and data in transit and and all of those kinds of things uh it's just you know there, there's so much going on you know years ago you could contain it and so you could put up a you know, a firewall in front of it, and we allowed one port in, and you know, you had to be authenticated, and we, you, you could almost watch every connection into that, and you could see where users were coming from, and if you know, analytics showed that the same ID just tried to attempt to log in from five different places on the globe, that's probably a compromised account. Well, now that the data exchange is just enormous, there's no possible way that a human could watch that, and and even pushing to the point where. Analytics of in detecting anomalous patterns or suspect patterns. Again, there's so much data that it just you're you're kind of always behind the curve on some of those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, and I think you sort of touched on a point that you know, as we move forward, it's it for, for me anyways, it's going to definitely be something that that I would say would be a concern or a vulnerability, and that is as as businesses begin to make that migration or or complete those migrations into the cloud or into hybrid environments, you know, misconfiguration is often the number one thing that leads to these vulnerabilities. And to your point, these systems are so massive, and in some cases, the organizations deploying them are decentralized. To your, you know, like like you mentioned, so this group over here may not do the same as this group over here, and and everyone may not be on the same page. And then boom, you have a vulnerability that can get exploited. So I think. A very at the most simplistic level, I think that's one thing for, for the healthcare and education industries as I make that journey, um, that's going to really be a concern for them. I think the other one would be, and I'm curious to get your take on this, this is sort of an ad hoc question, you know, backups oftentimes are the, the key to being a victim in a ransomware situation or or being able to recover quickly. And I guess with your experience in the education system, do you see if if it's a challenge to get that that alignment and that investment? Is that something that you continue to see going forward, or is your leadership team sort of uh, fully you know on board with with what needs to get done to properly back up your systems?
1: So I think when when we start talking about about backups, I, I see it a little bit of a, of a larger conversation about. Um, whether it's high availability or or looking more at the service as a whole. Um, And what in, at least in in my experience and and observation in higher education, we focus more on on ensuring redundancy and high availability, um, because that not only supports the day to day mission, it supports growth of that for future, but in, in many cases, um, you know, preventing the failure uh, then is, is better overall. And so if we can provide additional capacity up front, then there's not so much a focus and a worry on on the disaster recovery um, and, and backups in that case. Um, but that doesn't answer the exact question that you brought up about ransomware. And so it doesn't matter how redundant your system is if if a ransomware attack is successful enough to to encrypt everything, or lock you totally out. Great. Now it just, you know, it encrypted all of your replications, or or whatever else. Um, and so, when higher education, of course, um, isn't a isn't a great comparison to you know finance or or another industry where you can quantify lost revenue revenue in downtime. You know, if, if I'm a bank and I'm, you know, offline and miss four hours of transactions, well, did I just lose out on 10 million, 20 million, 50 million? Well, it's, if it's 50 million, then certainly I can invest 10 million in, in backup infrastructure in you know, having contracts available for, for at least a warm spare data center or, or a hot spare or whatever gets me to that, that line for my, my meantime for recovery that's, that's acceptable for my business model. Well, higher education, we're not cranking out widgets. you know we're we're teaching students and and you know all of the greater mission of of universities. And so you know you couple that um, kind of very difficult computation of, you know is there really a cost difference between a university being, Offline overnight for six hours? Well, what about 24 hours? Well, then it depends on is it the summertime? Is it exams? Um, and so in many cases it's almost reputational. You know, if, if if we go offline for 24 hours in an in a super critical time, well, what does that do to the rep the to the reputation of that university? Does that impact your your incoming class, whether that's you know, freshman or or whether you're Um, a a university such as ours that has top tier um, professional schools, um, how does that impact the the incoming classes for those schools, which in turn has an impact on revenue and and all of those kinds of things. Even with those kinds of reputational calculations, it's still very difficult to to justify, uh, especially now in, in super tight budget climates, to justify having a fully redundant hot spare data center you know on the other side of the country um, we're seeing a lot of universities um, you know that that uh, you know even starting years ago before we really started embracing cloud as kind of some of the movement of um, you know we'll we'll co-locate in each other's data centers so you know we're we're geographically separate enough we've got a little bit of extra space so your your top 10 critical pri- priority services um yeah well we'll, you know we'll make we'll make accommodations for space and and data and whatever else to support that NIRS and you'll do the same and and so that that was beneficial because it it didn't quite require the same kind of uh you know commercial investment um but there's still uh you know even in in true disaster recovery situations you know one of our um I helped run a couple of um you know tabletop exercises and you know my favorite one's is you know Godzilla just you know starts walking through campus one because it's completely unrealistic and so people you know are are much easier to embrace it than you try to do a realistic scenario and everybody pokes holes in it cuz like that would never happen you know yeah. like just please just assume yeah. that it did and that's why we're here um but but even in those those scenarios it, what comes out is is a lot of those conversations about what's the What's the tolerable meantime to return your services? You know, and what's the financial exchange to maintain that kind of level? And so, you know, backups are certainly a critical part of that. I think that um, I think a lot of um, and I don't think it's just in higher ed, I think across the board, technology in in a company, um, in higher ed, in many industries is the 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 underfunded entity right so we're never fully resourced for what we're supposed to be doing uh we're certainly not over resourced unless we're you know a technology company and then even then the the internal technology team is probably the most under-resourced because we're not a point of revenue for the most part um and so how many cycles do you have left to validate and verify your backups how many opportunities do you have to do a full we're going to walk into the data center with a pair of scissors, and we're going to cut the fiber going to the primary whatever. Um, okay, go. Do, do all the systems that you have in place for redundancy? Does it work? Um, you know, even just from from ransomware, never mind uh, you know geographical data uh, or disasters. Um, how many companies across the planet have the resources to fully vet that their um, defenses? Uh, or their ability to recover from a ransomware attack are actually effective uh, and can be done in the time and in the matter in which a plan um, suggests that they can be.
0: Yeah, those are, those are all great insights. And I, I think you hit the, the nail on the head. I mean, even if you are prepared, um, it, it's hard to really replicate that without being in it, right? And so there's a lot of things that get overlooked, um, there's a lot of things that, like you said, you get into a scenario and people poke holes in it, but then you get into a real life scenario and people are, are wondering, how did we get here? It's, it's that same thing, right? It's just Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, not, not a technology crisis, but, um, you know, we shut down the university and significant portions of town due to the fact that we didn't have water coming from the utility. Uh, in all the years in emergency services and disaster exercises on on the university side, never in a million years would I have used. Uh, we broke all the main water lines, so now your university has to go offline because uh, you can't cook food, you can't flush toilets, you can't you know do all of these other kind of health scenarios. Never used that as a as a as a possible scenario because nobody thought that it was you know feasible, and then it happened twice. So, yeah, it's a great, a great point that, you know, we poke holes in scenarios and then we find ourselves in an even wilder, crazier scenario. Um,
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge for sure. And like we joked about before the show, I mean, the last uh, 18 months of 2020 are a great example of that as well. We never thought we'd be here, but, but alas, here we are. Um, Uh, Yeah, (laughs) we never thought
1: we'd be here. And even 12 months ago, we didn't think that we would be where we are now. Uh, right.
0: For sure, and I think just to to throw a a piece of of my experience in there, you know, being out here in Hawaii, we've had many guests come on the show because, you know, I, I come from the mainland. I've been out here for quite a while, and just the the different mindset and I guess philosophy out here because you are literally on on your own. There's no one that you can rely on if the water does go out. What you, everyone here has. Thinks about those things at the forefront of of their plan because again we we have to be independent literally there's no one else we can turn to so it's it is a, it is a scary thing if, if like a storm hits right like what are we going to do out here and it's like a one in twenty one chance every year that a hurricane would hit us but if it does then what and I think that leads me I guess into the question that I that I want to ask you about like the craziest day that you've had or the craziest incident that you've been a part of and it may be a storm. It may be the water situation that you talked about, but uh, maybe you can give our listeners um, one of those experiences.
1: So in, in the other half of my life in emergency services, I have the privilege to be on our, our North Carolina helicopter aquatic rescue team. And, um, you know, we were talking before the show about how kind of the, the two halves of my life, both on the, the IT side and the, and the public safety side, uh, have really, you know, have bumped heads and have merged in, in many cases in recent years. Um, But I remember sitting in the university's Emergency Operations Center uh, because one of the hurricanes, I can't remember which, um, was coming towards towards the middle of North Carolina. And so we were stood up uh, anticipating heavy rain, wind damage, um, flooding was probably our, our, at the time, probably our primary concern. Um, But I remember, uh, you know, riding through whatever 12 hour shift, coming towards, you know, making landfall and coming through us. And it turned out that it wasn't going to be as bad as, as initially forecasted. And it was great. So I tagged out to, to my replacement on the, on the IT side and uh, went home, changed uh, into flight uniform and headed out to the, uh, to the uh, National Guard facility to go do uh, search and rescue operations. And, and for me, that was just the, you know, it's in that short period of time to, to completely go from, from the computer nerd IT guy in the university's emergency operations center to uh, hanging out the door of, of an aircraft uh, flying over eastern North Carolina and just seeing the amount of of damage and destruction of widespread floods uh, and supporting our overall um, search and rescue mission for for the state, it's just you know I, I count myself lucky in being able to kind of kind of do both. A lot of my colleagues live only in one of those environments and to be able to do both of those you know normally but to be able to do both of those in like a six hour a 12 hour period was was truly pretty pretty wild
0: for our listeners wondering we're actually interviewing james bond today Uh, (laughs) man of many talents and i hope you have the rights to that movie because that that sounds like it would be a good one um but no that's 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 a great experience And, and again one that uh being able to do that both of those things in one day is, is is very cool uh before we wrap up i think it's it's been a great a great segment so far um we always like to offer the floor to our guests in case there's anything that you guys are working on or just want to talk about and reach out to the community about uh that you'd like to share so the the floor is yours matthew
1: i i think that um Well, thank you, Uh, I appreciate the comparison to James Bond, Um, I I would say it falls dramatically short. Um, You asked me about one day, and I was able to come up with one example, every Bond movie I've ever seen, he gets to do that every day. uh, And, you know, twice on Sundays. Um, You know, my, my interests really are in um, enabling technology as, as a supporting tool to solve um, problems, Primarily in you know crisis emergency operations uh, environments, and so it's it's always um, it's neat and interesting in which you know we find technology solutions new solutions to to solve um, or to help solve problems you know in emergency management um, you know I I've known some fantastic emergency managers and some of the best of them were complete neophytes in the technology world. You know, they all fell back to paper because you know the batteries are going to die in your laptop. But my pad and pen will work all the time, um, and and so certainly that's true. But I think bringing some of the technology into that. So whether that's pulling in you know video sources more and more. Um, You know, the ability to feed information, situational awareness into an emergency operations center is really critical for that um, entity's ability to function, to make rapid decisions, to support those individuals out in the field. Um, Well, to not only support those individuals out in the field, but to kind of be sandwiched in that middle, because we've all got some leadership, whether it's government, university, business, you know, whatever else that wants information, that wants answers, that, that policy group. And so finding ways in which we can make efficient communication, collaboration, coordination, all of those kinds of things uh, is, is really an, an interest. Um, how to do it in, in, a, in a financially feasible manner is also, I think the challenge too. You know, Infinite money, infinite time, we could solve all the world's problems, but that'll we all know that'll never happen. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I really have an interest in, in being able to apply technology um, specifically in the emergency response, you know, I I think one of the things that you know, being in in EMS fire and rescue for more than 25 years, um, you know, I go back to portable radios. You know, they had six channels, so you had a radio pager that literally had a crystal in it. Um, now we give people mini computers with display screens, and you know, at the smallest there's 1,024 channels in there, and you give that to uh, not to make fun of the cops, because the firefighters are just as bad. But you give that to a career officer or you know a longtime battalion chief, and they're like, "Find the channel I need in here." Because for the first half of their career, they switched from one to two. Um, and you know, being able to provide technology that makes their jobs easier. Um, you know, we talked about if you got to train somebody on on your user interface or your tool, you've kind of lost the battle. Well. It's a challenge on the on the emergency services side because so many of those people didn't come from a high uh, a high technology background. They didn't spend years in um, in higher education learning the technology side. In many cases, their education was in their career field. and so they're really good at doing what they're doing, but for so many years, technology wasn't a big part of it. Um, and so we talked about the security ramifications and some of those. I think security is is maybe even a bigger concern on the emergency service side because you know we're pushing out technology and we're making their lives easier or we're trying to hopefully we are in many cases and that's an arguable point um but again to make the information available and to make it easier for them um are we doing two-factor authentication uh you, you know it's, it's scary the number of times we see people exchanging passwords to get into a system, uh, a system that might have PHI in it, because you know they need to log in, but somebody else needs to do something and all of this other stuff. Um, and that just makes me twitch. Like my wife doesn't even know my password. Um, that probably pisses her off too for some other things. Um, you know so so again it's a long answer to the to the short question of, of you know where do you have interest and in, and where would you like to see more uh done but really it's it's making it easy on people to have access to the tools and the resources that they need and the time that they need it uh, but the ability to protect that data um, and that's the challenge right that's what keeps us all busy and up at night in many cases and but also keeps our jobs interesting too
0: absolutely that is the that is definitely the rub right so um, matthew thank you very much for for your time it's been great i think you gave a lot of great uh, perspective and insight so again thank you for joining the show for our listeners you guys can can find us wherever you podcast, and please feel free to leave us your, your comments and your ratings. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, and we will talk with you next time on burn by the firewall.